Hello, Questions Podcast listeners. This is episode 69 of the Questions Podcast. I was gone last week for a little vacation with my lovely wife, but now we're back with more spiritual minty freshness and cold-blooded love. I know all of you need your fill. I'm sure I do. Boy, oh boy. I'm overflowing. It is a hot time in the old town tonight. I, Man, I, I know this is not accurate, but I got in my car the other day. Yeah. And the little temperature gauge on the thing said it was 113. 113. Did you know on my wedding day, July 23rd, 2006, it was like 113 as we were having the wedding ceremony in the afternoon, right over by your house? Yeah, it's like pond. a block from my house. Yeah, you could probably, with a wrist rocket, hit that house. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, yeah, it was like 113. Didn't somebody melt at your wedding? Me. Oh, okay. I felt like I was melting. Yeah. I mean, I was. It was one of those one of those times where you're standing there and you go, "Man, I really wish I would have done like the the shorts and sandals look." Yeah. For the wedding, but I was in the full black tuxedo. It was, it was horrendous. Okay, so what? I mean, demonic individual came up with the whole tuxedo thing. I mean, most weddings happen in the summer, correct? Yeah. Why? Why would you put on this crazy, scratchy wool? Could thick? we? Could we call it like cultural appropriation? We're appropriating like from what the penguins, seventeenth century England. Yeah. What do you got? A top hat and tails? It's just ridiculous. It. We live in cultural appropriation, Southern California. Yeah, it's SoCal, man. That's it. We stole it from Whitey. SoCal. You need yeah. khaki shorts and sandals. I, I'm down with that. Yeah. You, Although I'm not a Hawaiian shirt fan, so I would have to say no go on that. Well, I mean... Negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is pulled. The the Hawaiian shirt actually has another purpose. Really? We used to call it the pastor's muumuu. Ah. Uh, because, you know, as some of us guys got older, we, we had more to cover up. And Hawaiian shirts fit loose. They They do cover. There you go. My issue with the Hawaiian shirt, well, among the many issues with the Hawaiian shirt, but one of them is, why is the fabric inside out? Why is the colorful part of the fabric on the inside and like the faded, not so colorful on the outside? I've, I've never been able to understand that. Well, because you have never spent any island time with Islanders. I've been to the Islands time, quite a bit. I spent a lot of time with Islanders. Okay. It's supposed to look like a drunken Hawaiian put it together, I think. You know? It's like, <laughs> well, then they succeeded. They, yeah. I mean, they that's totally, it's supposed to be chill. Like, totally succeeded. Brah, I made this wrong. And, brother, I don't, I'm not even going to undo it. I, I just don't get it. I, I bet I could find an answer if I Googled it, but I don't even want to do that because there probably is a good answer. Who knows? I have no idea. Maybe it's so you can turn it inside out later. I don't know. All I know is it, it shows your sweat better. There you go. Is that what it is? I You know, I don't know. Gets more colorful when you sweat all over it? Well, then you take it off. Because if you've been to the islands, you learn one very important thing hmm. from my Hawaiian and my Samoan brothers. Okay. They taught me this. Tan fat looks better than white fat well that's totally true 100 percent. yeah you know i I love i love the people underweight they told me i was not i was not overweight i was under samoan i I love the people so the several times i've been to maui we've always been there in october but then we went to the big island a couple years ago in like july yeah and it is hot in kona in july yeah like it's it's steamy hot and so we go down to the beach one day and i love the fact that you have these tourists that look like they came from scandinavia they're like as white as whitewashed whiteies 
Whitey tidies. White as snow. Yeah. And here they snow. are on the beach with like, they don't have sunscreen. They have like coconut oil. And they're like rubbing themselves down with this coconut oil. And they are straight sizzling. Like They, they are going to prove to their Swedish brothers that they Holy went to moly. Hawaii. Yeah, it's going to kill them. I, I mean, you're straight up going to get skin cancer after one week in Kona. Like, man, oh man, these people are crazy. Don't they realize they're in the middle of the tropics? Like the sun is just a scorcher. Oh my Ooh. lord, they're Caucasian, white as snow. <laughs> they really are. They, yeah. they well, here's the deal. My people, your people, my people, Portuguese. Yeah, we we tan up pretty good. Yeah, you, you know it's funny because you know I have four kids and two of them are light skinned Scandinavianish kids because Andrea's heritage and even the the DNA test came back. She's got some Scandinavianish okay ish. blood. DNA. So we got two kids that have the the fair skinned, lighter hair, and then we got two two kids that got the Southern Mediterranean Italian to Benedictus. I know. On. Evangeline, she that kid is she's dark like year round. People. She's yeah. dark year round. But then you get to this time of year, that kid is super dark. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Way more so than me. Well, so I got three kids that got my skin. Yeah. So they they darken up like, like right like Evangeline. And uh, looks totally natural, normal for them. And then I have one white kid. Like Grace. in our family pictures, yeah. like Grace is glowing. Yeah. Well, that's they're totally like, Addison. She's like totally white. That's yeah, my wife's side of the family. So, because Addison, not only does she have the light skin, but she's got blue eyes. Yeah. So, Andrea and I got the recessive genes for blue eyes because we both have brown eyes, but we had a blue eyed child. So, hmm. hmm. Now, in the Bible, it's in the something Bible. about weak Fair eyes. eyes. Yeah. Fair-eyed. There is some, There's some, some interest on that. We're talking about yeah. Leah. Yeah. Leah and Rachel. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the wives of uh, Jacob, Yeah, she was fair-eyed, I think is what the King James Version says. Yeah. But there's difference of opinion about what that means. Like some people say that that means that uh, she was <laughs> weak upon the eyes to look upon. Yes. Yeah, which isn't very nice. And some people say that maybe she had blue eyes. There's all kinds of different interpretations. That's a funny one. Fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. Poor Leah. Poor Leah. She was the unloved wife, which I mean, if you're going to have multiple wives, which I don't recommend. No way. No. But if you're going to have multiple wives, then there's going to have to be some, some competition, which ain't good. No good. Not for the gal. No good. I'm thinking for the gal, for the guy. I don't think it's good for the guy either. Well, I don't think it is long term, but I think what he's thinking is life's going to be like one big beer commercial. Can you imagine the the competition just for who makes the best dinner? Well, straight up, it had to be Leah. Yeah? I think so. You know what's funny? Rachel was the more loved wife in that whole scenario. Yeah. But in the end, he was buried with Leah. Mm. 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 I don't know if that means anything. But it probably does. Something. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Things that make you go, hmm. We should, we should have a segment of the show. Yes. Things that make you go, hmm. Hmm. Maybe we should. Maybe I'll put that down here on the notes. Things that go, hmm. Things then, that make you go, What was the other hmm. thing I liked? That's from a song yeah. from the 90s. Uh, so we're thinking of new segments because, of course, we have the questions segment of the questions podcast. We get to eventually. Eventually. And then we have... Uh, uh, how should we call this? Mark and Miles make up the news based on the headlines? Yeah, we make stuff up. Yeah, Because that's all that anyone really does with the news in 2020 anyway, is we make up the news based on the headlines. So we have our Mark and Miles talk about the news, 
And then we could maybe do a new segment called What Could Possibly Go Wrong? There you go. Multiple wives. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, wow. <laughs> Man. Oh, mixing you know, you know, up anniversaries, birthdays. The whole guilty oh. pleasures thing. Uh-huh. So years ago when we were living on Albert Court, and for a short period of time we had cable TV, and there was that show that came on called Sister Wives. Have you heard about this? Never saw it. It was following like a, a Mormon family. Ooh. Like fundamentalist Mormons, the ones that do the multiple wives things. And like there was a, a short period of time where both Andrea and I got sucked into watching the show because it was like it was like watching a car crash repeatedly. Just, like, just you just couldn't help yourself. Like yeah. you couldn't walk, like look away. Like and NASCAR without the racing. It was horrendously bad. Wow. It was terrible. Sister wise. And you had to just keep looking at it. What could possibly go wrong? Oh man. The list is long. Maybe we should call our made up news segment segment. Did you just have a Freudian slip? <laughs> well, we were just talking about multiple wives. I mean, I didn't work that out. You're dangerous. Yeah, there you go. We're no. totally going to get ourselves in trouble. We've been shut off. Let's call it spontaneous combustion. That's what we'll, That's what call, we'll call the news. show. The news, the news section will be spontaneous combustion. Things yeah. that make you go, hmm, mm. and what could possibly go wrong? Well, to our loyal listeners, if you have any idea about a new segment that we could add to the Questions podcast, I'm sure we would be interested in you. Uh, well, let us know. 760-814-1223. Send us a text message. And for our new people yes. out there, because I know there's some new people. Yes. I help some people actually get the app on their phone. Uh-huh. Uh, in this part of the section known as old people in technology, that would be me. Um, but thankfully, I have young people around me to help me with these things. But um, anyway, for the new people, just they listen and they go, well, I, I don't get it. Like, they, I don't What know. don't they get? And I'm like, well, think like morning show. And they go, oh, we thought it was just going to be a real serious, just do answering they even, When people say that, do they even know us? Serious. I, I, exactly. Serious. So I'm like, no. I mean, like. A Bible answer man thing, that's more like a microwave. If you just want straight up answers, just use Google. Yeah, but we're more like a crock pot. We're going to take a while to get oh, to it. crock pot. You know what I mean? And crock, I mean, yeah. Man, oh man. <sighs> so, other than sweating, you've been doing Yeah, it's been fun? super hot. Yeah. Well, we've been trying to shut down the power grid, that's for sure. Yeah? Yeah. Is Andrew, your meter spinning out there like a helicopter? Probably. I mean, thankfully, I'm generating power as well with my solar solar panels, so they kind of op- offset the power a little bit. I'm my gen- power bill would be like $600 a month, but instead it'll be $300 a month. Wow. Maybe four. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, so we went up to Monterey for a few days, and it was nice and cool up there, but then it started to get warm, and uh, let's see, I think it was Friday night. Friday night, we're in Monterey, Pacific Grove, technically, which was beautiful. I've never been there before. Yeah, the ghetto, beautiful. man. The ghetto. Yeah, it's like Rancho Santa Fe on steroids when you get to um, Pebble Beach. And uh, what's that place? Carmel. Do you say Carmel or Carmel? Carmel. But Carmel. Did, I wonder, is Clint Eastwood still there? I have no idea. Is, I wonder if is Clint Eastwood's still alive. Yeah, I think he is. Okay. But I think he's more down in the L.A. area because he's still making movies, trying to make movies. Well, he used to be the mayor of Carmel. Oh, did he really? Yes, he did. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, but so we were in, we were in Carmel. Well, no, we were up in Pacific Grove this Friday, and we thought, well, we, we want to go out to dinner, because you're not on vacation, we're going to go out to dinner. Um, and I I drug my feet on getting out the door. We weren't moving so fast. Andrea was rightly saying, we should probably leave, because these places might be packed. Well, we discovered that none of the restaurants there do um, reservations on Friday, Saturday, only on Sunday through Thursday. 
So just keep that in your mind. So how long of a line was there at the McDonald's? Yeah. So we we go down to the wharf. Oh, we're going to go down to the gosh. wharf. And there are a bazillion people at the wharf. They're, but <laughs> making sardines great again. Well, so we go. Let's go to Carmel. We'll yeah. drive down to Carmel. Maybe we'll be able to find. They have an Ilfernayo in Carmel. Ooh, I like Ilfernayo. So I called them. They're sorry we don't take reservations on Friday, Saturday night. But you know, walk-ins, you might be able to get something to come down. So we drive down to Carmel. On our way to Carmel, all of a sudden the uh, stoplights stop working, rolling blackouts. Ooh, the entire Monterey Peninsula was blacked out. So we get down to Carmel, and it is like traffic nightmare. You remember when we had the tra- or the oh, power outage here? Yeah, not good. No bueno. So we finally get there. It took take us like forty five minutes to go twelve miles, and uh, we get there, and there is just a stream of cars leaving Carmel because all the power went out at the restaurants. <laughs> and there were people that were like trapped at the restaurants because they don't have any cash. Yeah, they pay their bill. They're just sitting there. Like I guess we wait until. I mean, we've got food in front of us. We'll eat our food, but we just wait. Until the power goes back on. Wow. Luckily, it was only off for like 90 minutes. But yeah, we didn't get a place to eat. We went back to the wharf. We didn't get a seat at a place to eat. We left the we left the hotel at 5. We didn't get a place to eat until 9.40. The good news is you probably didn't hear once that I told you so, right? No, actually, she she didn't say that. She just said, I'm really hungry. She was very, very kind and sweet. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. She, she may have given me the I told you so look a couple times to kind of, mm-hmm. I'm good, but man, don't get, don't get me too many too many hours past mealtime. There's going to be a see. Yeah. I I can go without food for a pretty good length of time, but Andrea is one of those people that probably needs some protein, even if it's just a little bit mm-hmm. every few hours, mm-hmm. or else she doesn't feel so good. So oh, I can go without a meal for days, but just nobody's going to want to be around me. Yeah, that's true. You know, I just yeah. Okay, anyway. well. <laughs> We do have some questions. Well, no, we haven't gone there yet. Oh. Oh, yeah. In the the news, news, Mark and Miles make up the news based on the headlines. All right. Let's make something up. Give me a headline. Jill Biden feels America's pain, says Matthew Iglesias at Fox. Did you know that this week is the Democratic National Convention, or shall we say the National Telethon? They're, uh, they're basically doing like an endless Zoom call on TV every night. Good thing I don't have cable. Wow. Yeah. So Jill Biden, the wife of uh, presidential nominee, it's official, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, she gave a speech last night. And Vox, Matthew Iglesias, says Jill Biden feels America's pain. Joe or Jill? Jill. It's Joe and Jill. Would be great if it was Jack and Jill. Yeah. Can we call him Jack? Is that a short one for Joe? Yeah, sure. No. No. Nothing shorter than Joe. I think Jack was short for John, because didn't they call John Kennedy Jack Kennedy sometimes? I, I think. It's one of the Kennedys. I mean, they all had great hair, I'll tell you that. They did. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Anyway. Jill and- Biden feels America's pain. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Is he having to take out his own trash cans or something? No, Jill. Biden. Oh, Jill. Jill Maybe Biden. she's taking out the trash. She feels America's pain. I know in her um, in her speech, she was speaking from a school classroom, which is the school classroom that she used to teach in, and she was speaking very empathetically about those poor Americans that can't have their kids go back to the school classrooms this year because of COVID nineteen. 
Well, why don't they just put on a mask and shut up and go to school? You know, I, I will say my, my wife and I were having a conversation about this, and I, I'm sure I'm bound to offend somebody with this, this whole thing. But, if we're not offending, we're not talking. Well, there you go. All right. Um, so the school teachers are, well, I should say this. The teachers' unions, speaking on behalf of the teachers, are disturbed that we would think that they should go back into a classroom where they could get sick and they could die. And we shouldn't expect them to be put in danger. Now, my wife is a critical care nurse and works in the COVID unit. Surely. Her, her basic take was, suck it up. I'm a frontline you know, worker here. You think that the, the people at Vaughn's who are giving you groceries, they're, you know, they're any less essential than you? Like, you should get back in there. But, you know, that's just, that's just one person's view on things. Well, I mean, I guess don't show up to work. Just don't get paid. You would think. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Another news headline. We'll make up the news. BLM fear mongering is wrong fixation for black people, says somebody at Outkick. Outkick Outkick.com. I don't know what that is. Jason Whitcock. That sounds like that could be, you could stumble into some problems with that one. But right next to that article is Chicago BLM leader on why she supports looting. Okay. I read this one, actually. Why does she support looting? Because looting is a form of reparations. What say you, Mark? What could possibly go wrong? Well, here's my thought. Yeah. Like, in my children's book, my best-selling children's book. Which you haven't written I yet? haven't written yet. Okay. But it's a heartwarming story. It's called Koreans on the Rooftop. Oh, goodness. We're going back to, what was that, 1994? L.A. Riots. L.A. Riots, 1994. And my Korean brothers and sisters who worked hard, came to the country, immigrants, minorities, came to this country, and... Um, I saw a documentary. Many of guys. them, many of them, right. English was not their first language. They were truly at a disadvantage, but through uh, hard work and discipline and diligence and family connections, honoring the family, this was a big part of, you know, Korean culture, um, were able to own shops and be part of the community. And when the looters came... Um, they exercised their Second Amendment rights. They did. Now, this, I was informed, as we all were informed in the news a few months ago, when President Donald Trump tweeted, which is like, a, he does it, what, 36 times a minute? Um, he tweeted something about, you know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And apparently, that was a racist dog whistle. Apparently. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't even but, know what that is. I don't know either. But I will say this. Is it a racist dog whistle necessarily, just the statement, if it's just an observation? That, like, there is some truth to that. Like, if, if you're a gun owner and a business owner, and you're going to defend your property, which is basically what the Second Amendment yeah. talks about, and someone comes to steal that property, and there's looting going on, and then shooting results, if it's just an observation of something that happens, is that a racist thing? I don't think it has anything to do with race. No, I don't. I don't think we can even agree on the terms. I, I'll just say this: yeah. you know, there's talks of defunding the police and mm. all this other stuff, and it's just ludicrous. You do not want private citizens. What could possibly go wrong? Let me tell you something that could possibly go wrong. I mean, I'm you know, you know, I've been a long-term gun owner, and once upon a time, a an federal arms dealer. firearms dealer. Yeah, I was yeah. a federal firearms dealer. I was yeah. a licensed exporter of firearms. I have exported, my company, over 60,000 firearms during our... 
Most of those to your own family, right? No. (laughs) Well, well, one or two might have fallen in uh, back in the day. Um, But that being said, that would uh, be one heck of a safe. People get scared, they buy guns. And we're seeing right now. Has been happening a lot. uh, Let's look at the actual news. Let's get the news right. So, gun purchasing in 2020. Yeah. Let's see what let's see what we got here. Yeah. Gun sales. This is um this was from 2027-13. So just last month, just a month ago, there are more guns than people in the United States. We already knew that 400 yeah, for, million are in circulation for years, population. Yeah. Let's see. US firearm purchases skyrocket in the midst of the pandemic. This may have been before. No, this was August 3rd. So let's see what we see. In July 2020, the FBI conducted more than 3.6 million firearm background checks, making it the third highest month on record for checks since the Bureau began keeping statistics since 1998, according to new data released on Monday by the agency. Wow. Be, uh, by comparison, the Bureau conducted just over 2 million checks in July 2019. So it was up 1.6 million just okay. in that month. Now, one thing to note. Right. These are not firearms sold. These are checks. So you can put up to multiple firearms. six or eight firearms on one check. That's true. That's true. So... Except in California, because in California, you're only allowed to buy one handgun a month. Huh. Which, you know, suffices for more most people. But anyway, yeah. You know, and this does not include um, 80 percenters. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Which for our non, non-gun-owning individuals, that means that you can purchase a, what is a, a, a major receiver. component, a yeah, major a component yeah. of an AR-15 rifle that is 80% complete and you finish the last 20% and it is a, a, an unofficial gun, shall we say. Yeah. A ghost gun, ghost as it's gun, sometimes yeah. called. Those uh, are evidently, that's illegal too. in California now. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. A is that based law, on new not, ones or based on... Any, I mean, any of them. You're supposed to... So the federal law right. is the same, but California changes. So uh, my point is, if you take a trained police officer right. and there's an altercation... And somebody is armed. They are trained, and they drill that they only shoot the threat. Right, and nothing's perfect. These are high stress situations. Of course, but you take a an average citizen, and you've got what appears to be a threat, and somebody comes at them with something, and they feel threatened. They they're not trained no. in these things. A lot of people are going to get shot. And there has been, I would say, a lot a of restraint thing. exercised on the right. side of a lot of gun owners in America at this moment, yeah. which is good. Yeah, and it's really important. Those guns, are, I think, are very valuable. Uh, they, it keeps the government honest. Let's be honest about this. And uh, the guns are there when the police can't show up. And it looks like the police are not able to show up a lot lately. I feel bad for the people in Portland and Seattle. Those two are, those places are crazy. So let's do another uh, news headline. Make okay. up the news. Um, See, the BLM, I always thought, was the Bureau of Land Management. Man, that's what I think of when I hear BLM. Yeah. That's where we go to shoot. Yeah. Uh, more CO2 isn't making the Earth uninhabitable. Wow. There you go. Let's be serious. More CO2 isn't making the Earth uninhabitable, un- uninhabitable says Dave David Simon. On August 17, 2020, former Federal Reserve Board Vice Chairman, and Princeton University economist Alan Blinder. So he went to school. Recently wrote that the following Wall Street, uh, recently wrote the following in the Wall Street Journal, cumulative, I love that word, cumulative CO2 emissions heat up the atmosphere, causing climate changes of all sorts. Yada, yada, yada. 
Hey, uh, who was the crazy person that wanted to get rid of all the cows? Remember that lady? Well, yeah, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, as they call her. That was in oh. the Green New Deal. But listen, that's becoming some pretty substantial platforming for the Democratic National Committee. So that should be interesting how uh, this but fall. They're anti-cow? Well, I don't know. I think we're all going to ride trains. We're going to get rid of planes. We're going to get rid of cows. And, um, you know, I don't know. Go back to trains, man. It's what, very why? Atlas Shrugged. I, I don't understand. Have you read Atlas Shrugged? No. I know my daughter was required to read it up in Because Dagny college. Taggart, yeah. she, she heads up Transcontinental Railroad. Okay, question. Yeah, because there are railroads. What's the issue with the cows? They they release a lot of methane, Mark. Oh, cow parts. It's a problem. Oh. It's a problem. Well, why don't we retrofit them with like catalytic converters? I know. You know, you would think that all that cow pies could create energy. Man. Some places they use it for fuel to make their fires. Hmm. Cow patty fire. Could you see them outlawing Mexican food? <laughs> because we generate methane? For joilies, yeah. <laughs> okay, one last headline. I'm just thinking, I'm taking this out to its, you know, it's very important Logical look at conclusion. a problem. Ideas have consequences. Yes, exactly. Anxious parents brace for go-it-alone school year. <sighs> Reports the New York Times. Claire Kane Miller, I think. Yeah. I, I'm with those anxious parents. This is a challenge. Yeah. I got, I got four kids at home. We're just shifting to distanced learning we we had not been accustomed to the homeschool environment yeah so it's a challenge well we had it because my and wife didn't work you're what you guys both right work. there's a lot of families where this is impossible because i was reading an article the other day and it was yeah. a pretty heavy thing about um they were following a number of new york single moms who what am i gonna do i gotta i gotta take care of my kids and i gotta work to take care right. of my kids and now i gotta do their school yeah it's a challenge. This is something for people to be praying about in a big way. Praying for these families as they go back to school. I know a lot of anxious parents about going back to school with uh, distance learning. That's a bummer. It's a challenge. But I think it's going to have a long-term effect, as all of this is having a long-term effect, on just um, the culture of education in America. Education is going to change in a big way in the next five years. Well, I needed to. Well, it's going to be fast-tracked. The change that has needed to take place for a long time is going to be fast-tracked. Have you been down to the mall in the last few days? No. Because they have replaced not just prime trucks... Now, the parking lot of the mall is a drive-in theater. Whoa. They put in big, huge outdoor jumbotrons, three of them. Really? And they're going to be showing movies down at the mall. So, I mean, the big question really is, I mean, you know, world peace, all these other things, you know, a vaccine, those are minor issues. What's going to happen with Top Gun 2? Maybe we'll be watching it at the mall, outdoor. You and me in the back of the new truck, Mark. There you go, man. But I'll tell you, you know, we, we took the kids. There's still a drive-in theater down in Santee, I think it is. Yep. We took the kids to the drive-in a couple of years ago. It was fun. They had, a, they had a blast. They have a heck of a swap meet there, but too. But the, they had the typical screen and the projector. Yep. Love and it. And you got to wait until it's super dark to watch. Yep. Now, listen. When I drove past the Jumbotrons down at the mall for the drive-in theater, I thought, that is genius. Because those Jumbotrons are incredibly bright. So, I mean, you could do drive-in pretty much any time with as bright as those things You think are. they'll let us use it for driving church? I was thinking we might want to reach out. That would be awesome. Jumbotron church? That would be so cool. I've always wanted a Jumbotron. At the mall. We should reach out. You know what? We'll do that. I, you know what? I've always wanted a marquee. Yeah, they always look so cheesy. Well, they do. My wife says we shouldn't have one. Oh, yeah? 
She's afraid we might put things up there without maybe thinking about it. Well, we would have to have someone who would edit. Like a supervisory panel? Yeah, we need, we need editors. Of both our wives? I mean, just think how bad this, this, this whole situation is. No one edits Mark and Miles' podcast. Okay, you remember the time when we did the stunt with the angel and the devil? You, you should probably describe that because there's plenty of people that weren't a part of Cross Connection when we did that. So we're like, you know, we had done some signs and stuff. And we're so, always trying to figure out a way to get people's attention to bring them to church. Right. So, so the, the, the intent is right. The heart is right. Absolutely. And I think God on The actions might be questionable, but the heart is right. Well, it's just like, yeah, out of the integrity of our hearts, we have done this. Exactly. So we put a person out there in an angel outfit with a sign that says, come to church. This is on a Sunday morning with a little arrow pointing towards the church. And then down the street, about a block away, we had a person in a devil outfit, and we put, good job, see you later. Or see you soon. I forget what it was. And um, I, No, I think we said, come to church on one side. Yeah. The angel had, come to church. Yeah. And then the next one said, nope, just keep driving. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. And um, some people didn't like that. Who didn't like that? But some people Well, the did. people that don't go to the church. The few people who yeah. gave us a hand signal as they drove by. They were still number one. They were pointing to Jesus, I think. Right. That's exactly what do you they remember were. They were we using put, the wrong finger doing the one-way Do you sign. remember the Darth Vader we put yeah, up? Yeah, we put Darth, uh, Darth Vader on top and uh, of the building. And what did he say? Leave the dark side, get to church. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to put, come meet your father. Yeah. That would have been awesome. And then we had the gorilla... Life's hairy without Jesus. Okay, here's the news. The California Center for the Arts Escondido has teamed up with Westfield North County Mall to show drive-in movies and concerts this month in August. Uh, the upcoming drive-in movie events include The Princess and the Frog, Rocket Man, and Onward. I don't, I don't, I know what Rocket Man. Rocket Man is a horrible movie. Wait, but oh, I was thinking of the Rocketeer. I was yeah, thinking of the, no, Rocket yeah, Man Rocket is Man. the Elton John. That is not horrible. good. Not good. You can't expose that to the elements. You'll infect somebody. Uh, Talk about COVID whoa, for the brain. These are $50 per vehicle. What? Well, that's actually cheap. You can bring your I guess popcorn. that's cheap, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, the Santee movie theater was like $6 a person. Dude, we're redneck, man. Well, I'll bring a barbecue and a popcorn machine and a microwave. I guarantee they're not going to let you bring all your good stuff in there. Oh, yeah. No, I'll be barbecuing in the middle of the movie, man. Cooking some bratwurst. Disney animated feature, The Princess and the Frog, will be shown 8 p.m. Friday, August 21st. There's going to be some concerts played there, too. Live concerts played over the... Pixar animated film Onward will be shown 8 p.m. Friday, August 28th. Huh. Interesting. Can't you get all this stuff on video? Probably. But is, is there's something about being with the people. The people. We you're know that. We're people. church you're people. Car. You're locked in a car. You could just go to L.A. and sit in traffic and all listen to the and same watch, thing. And watch a video. Yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. There you go. I mean, you know. That's they call the way it the, Mark does drive-in. They call it the 405. It's you're oh, going yeah. four or five miles an hour. <laughs> it's totally yeah. true. And sometimes zero. Oh, oh man. man. Okay, well, we should probably get to the questions. We've been like 40 minutes of. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. I mean, why beat around the bush? We've we got all kinds of questions yeah. to get to as well. Well, that was fun, us making up the news headlines. Yeah. Or news based on You know that. what the good news is? Right now, hmm. our prayer team is it's together. Praying. They're praying for us. Right we now, don't, they're we praying. Don't destroy something. Did you see all the cars in our parking lot? They're, they're doing park and ride at our, at our church now that, to all go to the secret 
prayer location. Shh. They're not. They're not getting together. They're Shh. secret prayer location. Social distance. They, they might not be getting together somewhere. I, I like to call it physical distancing and not social distancing. I don't like the idea. The concept of social distancing just doesn't sound right to me. Sounds. We need to work on bizarre. the twenty twenty social distancing soundtrack of all the songs that have to do with social distancing. Do you have a family calendar at home? Used to. So we have a family calendar, and uh, it's on the wall just inside our little yeah. pantry. And um, that's done. Andrea called me in there. The, she said, "Hey, come look at this." I walk in. She said, "Look at the calendar." We had left it on February twenty twenty. It's like the world stopped. Okay. After February, do you know why? Because of coronavirus. Because I'm going to quote your daughter. Because coronas killed everything. Coronavirus killed everything. everything. Destroyed everything. Oh, it's kind of true. It's yeah. kind of true. Man. All right, number one. Numero uno. Numero uno. Regarding the issue of idolatry, what might be considered a carved image in the form of anything? Question mark. It is often easier to envision the Israelites worshiping a golden calf, but difficult to see what the analogous... Did I get that right? Yeah. Uh idol might be today what forms of worship in our own day corporately tend to supplant god in our worship great question we actually are going to be talking quite a bit about idolatry um as we get into september because we're getting into that passage in deuteronomy where we talk about well the first first three of the ten commandments deal a lot with this whole topic of idolatry so I think it's important for us to, and I'll talk about this when we get into that section, it's important for us to update our concept of what an idol is. We, we, need, we need to, I think, say, to interrupt you, Yeah, we got to get our nomenclature right. What is idol and what is worship? Those are two words we need right. to yeah, update. Well, yeah, because they do go hand in hand. Yeah. But, but I think that, so we need to update our, our concept of idol just mm-hmm. in, in general. Because when we think of an idol, we do tend to think of it a carved image, which, you know, the Bible does explicitly say in the commandments, do not make for yourself any graven or carved image or worship it. Um, but I think that it's important to think, when you think of worship and when you think of idol, something that is an idol, I think of an idol can, well, I think an idol can be anything that you really put your trust in. And then worship is anything you're really devoted to. So, I mean, gosh, we could come up with a long list of things that people trust in beyond God or that they're devoted to. And sometimes those things are the same thing. They're devoted to the same thing that they uh, they trust in. So, I mean, people can trust in their bank account. They can trust in their retirement account. They can trust in their job. They can trust in their intellect. They can trust in their good looks. They can trust in all of these things beyond trusting in God. They, they put all their stock in that, man. Mm-hmm. Or they are totally devoted to their hobbies Mm-hmm. They, I, I mentioned this in a message not too long ago that, you know, maybe a mom can, can get to a point where she totally idolizes her identity as a mom or she is overly committed to her identity and to her children. Now, that may sound bad. Someone's going to get upset with that. But there are some people that certainly have idolized their children and there are some guys who idolize their job. Mm-hmm. So doesn't necessarily need to be a carved image. Uh, but we devote a lot of our Time, energy, assets, and time to those things. Ministry, that, right? Oh yeah, ministry, ministry for pastors can yeah. be, yeah, yeah. Now I think become your mistress. We probably need to. How do you know? Because you know, being a mom and doing ministry right. things like those they are can good, be good things. things, right? How do you know when it's become an idol? Well, I think that 
I would go back to Paul's comment in Ephesians where he talks about do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or excess. That's where I was going. I think that a lot of things can be good in moderation, but you can make it an idol when it becomes excessive in your life. So you can go down the list. Sex, work, money, alcohol. Not necessarily bad things inherently, right? but too much trust. My, my, one of my thoughts is when things start to get out of whack. Excess. Excess. You know yeah. at the cost of other things. Um, when it becomes central in your life. What I've seen a lot in parents, because I'm a, you know, a recovering junior high pastor. Mm. One of them was... I don't uh, think you ever recover from that. No. Children's sports. That is definitely an idol. And, and like, Can be. And, and I've asked, well, when, when is it unhealthy... And I, my answer to parents is, you know when it's unhealthy when... It displaces? It displaces your kids going to church, because now they do it on Sunday. Uh, their spiritual life... Not anymore. It's shut down. Yeah. Though they're both shut down, in a yeah, way. Yeah. Well, well, we got virtual church, which is good. But I, I, when it, I remember that being a big struggle, that that kept a lot of teenagers out of church, was their sporting activities and some of these kids were playing two and three sports and extra coaches on the side all that that was a thing i actually saw marriages yeah being shipwrecked by children's sports and and that's children's sports is not necessarily a bad thing right uh that's one well so I, i did a teaching i've done it several times in different places over the years on isaiah 19 and isaiah 19 is an interesting passage where there's a judgment spoken against the people of egypt and Isaiah is prophesying against the nations from Isaiah 12 to 24. And in chapter 19, he's prophesying against the Egyptians. And, and in Isaiah 19, 1, it says, uh, The judgment or burden against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. So God is moving against Egypt for judgment. And then it says this, The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. So when God begins to move in judgment against a people group or maybe even an individual, the things that our idols begin to shake or be uh, um, shaken, shall we say, in his presence. Because nothing can stand, in the, no idol can stand in the presence of God. There's a great picture of this in First Samuel chapter 4 when the Ark of the Covenant of God, which represented God's presence, is brought into the temple of Dagon. Remember that? Yeah. Dagon fell over. So He was having hard, Dagon got a little tipsy because it yeah, wasn't just yeah. once he fell over. Yeah, it was great. But so, so there's a visible picture in Israel's history where God's presence causes idols to be shaken. But when you read the rest of Isaiah chapter 19 and you look at the things that are shaken mm-hmm. as a result of God's presence, and these are things that Egypt trusted in, but it's things like their industry, the river of, of Egypt, their their work, it's the leaders that they trusted in. Are t- so there's all these things in the nation that are disrupted that are the things that people trusted in and when the things that you trust in begin to shake, you start to look for something else to trust in. And there's no other thing that you should trust in other than God. So I think that sometimes when we have those shaking events in a nation, maybe a terrorist attack like in 2001, and you know what are the things that the terrorist attack shook in America? Well, it shook our financial institution, institutions with the Trade Center, and then it shook uh, the Pentagon, which is you know military. What are the things right. that Americans trusted in? Financial you know, they're standing in the world, they're military, Chariots which horses, can be good man. things. They can be good things. I'm not speaking negatively of America, but maybe we have a, an excessive devotion and trust to these things. Good possibility. 2008, 2009, the economic collapse, it, it, it showed, it revealed the, the areas where we had 
uh, inordinate trust in things that we ought not to be trusting in. 401ks, uh, housing, you know, your, um, your house value, your, your, the value of your home, all those things we can, we can trust in those things and they can become idols. Right. And I mean, to be clarify this, we do the 401k thing. We we have houses and we we do all that too. So, I mean, it's not that it's just, don't, don't be excessively devoted or trusting in those things over God. I like that eat principle you talk about. Energy, you know, assets, and time. Yeah, those are the, you look where you're putting those three things, and that's what you put your trust in. We grow when we eat, and that means when we commit our energy, assets, and time to various things. Yeah, so uh, your checkbook and your calendar say a lot about what you're dedicated to. All right. All right, so that's the kind of things, yeah. All right. Ooh, here's a big question here. In Mark thirteen twenty four through 27, it seems to say that the elect are still on the earth after the tribulation period there. But tribulation, period. First, are you the elect for choosing Jesus, even though you have doubts that sneak in from time to time? And second, how come we are still here during the tribulation? Question mark. I've read Revelation, and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Well, you're a good person. For not yeah. wishing that on your worst enemy, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm down. Does not sound good to me. Okay, there's a lot in this question. I'm going to delay the portion on the, are we elect because we choose the Lord? Because there's another question that I think we have today that we'll hit on that. But um, this passage, Mark 13, uh, it, it corresponds with Matthew 24 and Luke 21, which are all called the Olivet Discourse. And this is, it's called that because it's the teaching that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. That's so we Olivet discourse, teaching on the Mount of Olives. And it, it came on the heels of Jesus making this statement to the disciples that totally freaked them out, that they were boasting about the temple. And they were, because if you read Matthew 23, you see that Jesus just like annihilated the religious structure of Israel and the temple and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of this. And it's almost like the, the disciples are kind of doing damage control with Jesus as he's walking out of the temple. But look at these wonderful buildings. Aren't they beautiful? And Jesus makes this statement, which is Awesome. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. They're all going to be torn down. Which in the mind of a Jewish individual in the first century, prior to 70 AD, when that prophecy of Jesus was literally fulfilled by the Romans, um, prior to that, the temple was like the central focus of the people of Israel. And um, if there's no temple, there's no Israel in their minds. And so they come to Jesus, they ask him, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming end of the end of the age? And so he begins his, his discourse on the Mount of Olives talking about those things. So the actual passage, Matthew, Matthew 13, 24 says, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. Stars of heaven will fall and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels to gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth, the farthest part of heaven. Now, the language that's being used in this passage is what we call apocalyptic language, and it gets it gets used in Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Obadiah, Zechariah, Jeremiah. They all use this same uh, illustrative language of the the heavens, the moon being darkened, the the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, the stars shaking, and it it is a picture of um, judgment coming. And there are some. Um, very, very literal ideas of this. You know, one of the ideas that, that you find in some commentary on the book of Isaiah when they use this is that 
you know, a lot of times a city, when it would be destroyed in antiquity in ancient Near East, the city would be burned. And so the smoke would be rising from the city and it would cause the sun to be darkened and the moon to not give its light because the smoke of the city is going up. So that's kind of the picture that, that comes with this. But um, so all of this is speaking about the judgment of God, the, the, the day of the Lord, when the Lord returns. That's what's being pictured in this passage. So the, the question... Great, the great and terrible day. Day of the Lord, say, yeah. yeah. At the second coming, then they will see the Son of Man coming in verse 26 and the clouds of the earth in great power and great glory, right? Clouds and great glory. Great glory yeah. and great glory. Uh, so, but that verse, verse 27, he will send forth his angels to, angels to gather together the elect from the four winds of the earth. Now, the question, if I can look at it real quick... Um, seems to say that the elect will still be on the earth after the tribulation. Well, depending on your view of the end times, then if you hold to what's called a pre-tribulation rapture, so there are those who believe that Jesus is going to catch away, rapture his church before a period of tribulation, generally they say seven years of tribulation, Um, then they wonder, well, where do these elect come from? if he's already taken his elect, his church, from the earth. Well, those people who hold to a pre-tribulation rapture, they would say, well, there's new elect. There's people who have been saved during the tribulation. Some people would refer to them as tribulation saints. Almost like latter day. (laughs) And so they would be the elect that are spoken of. So if you hold to a pre-tribulation view, then you believe that there are people who are saved during the tribulation, and they are, you know, taken out of the earth before all the judgment of God comes to meet the Lord in the air. That's pre-tribulation view. Then you have the mid-tribulation view and the post-tribulation view and the pan-tribulation view and all kinds of different views. Yeah. And and so the, the post-tribulation view would basically say that Jesus raptures or gathers together his church right before his return. So this would be uh, one of the ways that you might, this would be one of the proof texts for that position because it would appear that the elect are still upon the earth at the time of the second coming and not taken prior to the tribulation. So uh, to be very candid with you, I, I don't really care what you believe on this passage, other than the fact that I believe that the Orthodox Christian view is that Jesus' second coming has not happened yet, and that one day the same Jesus who ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1 will come here to the earth once again to establish his literal millennial reign and kingdom. And we're looking forward to that. Now, all of the events that lead up to that in the last seven years, uh, you can have difference of opinion on this, and you shouldn't divide within the body of Christ based on your opinion. You should be firmly convinced in your in your view, but some of the people that attend Cross Connection Church are pre-trib in their view, and some are mid-trib, and some are post-trib. And, uh, you know, as, as they've been saying for a long time in Calvary chapels, pray for pre and prepare for post. Exactly. That's why a lot of people are buying guns right now. They think they're in the tribulation. Right. I don't think so. And I think it's important to realize that we're talking about a tribulation. It's a period. It's a time frame. And because you'd have a really hard time convincing uh, the Chinese church that they weren't undergoing tribulation or persecution. And really, since its really inception, Christianity has been under some type of persecution or tribulation. That's that's kind of been goes along with the territory not so much here in the United States, but I think that's coming. But we're talking about a specific time period is what we're yeah. talking about here. And so. I, I think that we should accept and acknowledge that this is not an essential doctrine. Your salvation in Christ is not dependent upon what you believe about eschatology. Um, I think that's an important point. I had a conversation a number of years ago because, of course, you and I both came 
we're, we're both part of Calvary Chapel. Yeah. We're both pastorized, if you will, ordained within a Calvary Chapel system. And um, Calvary Chapel is traditionally pre-millennial and pre-tribulational. I know those words may not mean anything to some people, but they mean a lot to some people. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, Mark and me, uh, we don't we don't really hold to entirely a pre-tribulational view, but we also don't divide over that issue. And I think it's it's devastating when uh, people divide over that issue. We do believe in a pre-millennial return of Jesus and that he will establish his kingdom upon the earth. Um, but all the details of what you believe on that, um, I think you should be thoroughly convinced and you should have a good biblical argument for why you believe those things. I have really good friends who believe that and I love those those individuals and we don't divide over it. So, yeah. I was going to say, I know some really good pastors, good teachers that have a different opinion than I do. Yeah. But they're still friends. And, and uh, you know, you've said it before. I'd like to have a humble orthodoxy. orthodoxy humble eschatology, yeah, humble orthodoxy. Because um, I'm open to having my mind changed. I don't want to be yeah. stubborn. And let me tell you, I would much rather the pre-tribulational oh, idea. Yeah, any day of the week. I'll take it. Yeah. If I'm wrong on that, I will joyfully be wrong. Exactly. Yes. So... But I do think that there's been a lot of Christians throughout church history over the last 2,000 years who have experienced a lot of difficult tribulation, and they would have loved to be snatched out of that, and they weren't. I'm sure that'll ruffle some feathers. Oh, yeah. Let's go for it. Let's ruffle some more feathers. Number three? Number three. Why should we study books like Leviticus if we are no longer subject to the law and no longer follow the Levitical rites of sacrifice, I'm going to say question. I'm going to say right off the right off the the bat here, I don't want to raise a lamb every year in my front yard and have it slaughtered. I'm just going to say from a convenience standpoint, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, but there's so much more. There is. I think one of the most important applications of Leviticus is that atonement is costly. Uh, It costs a lot for there to be an atonement that will bring righteousness and holiness. We all understand the story of Genesis. We know that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created everything good, and we recognize that as a result of that, we had a right relationship with God, So we were in rightness before God, righteousness before God, but then sin enters in in Genesis chapter 3, and as a result of sin, we are unrighteous. We are no longer right with God. And so there needs to be a way to restore us, reconcile us back to God. And under the old covenant, the first covenant, which we are given in Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we see it very clearly given to us. There in those passages, that was going to come under sacrifice, which God originally instituted. It appears in Genesis chapter 3, where we have a sacrifice that made covering for the sin of Adam and Eve, but it also made coverings for their skin, uh, for their their nakedness. So, so there's a sacrifice that's set in place, and Leviticus gives us the very clear details on how that is to be carried out. But what I think the important one of the important applications that comes from that is, like I said, is that atonement is costly, and righteousness and holiness are not cheap. And when you look at all that was necessary to bring about the atonement of the children of Israel with God to make them right before God, it cost a lot. There was sacrifices. There were sacrifice of lambs and goats and rams, and there were sacrifices of 
oxen and there were sacrifices of turtle doves and there was sacrifice of grain offerings and there was all these different things to bring about uh, an offering for sin, an offering for peace, an offering for thanksgiving. So there is so much that is required. And atonement's not, it's not cheap. Righteousness and holiness are not cheap and it costs a lot. And for all of the centuries from the time that Moses set in place the sacrificial system that we find in Leviticus, which we're talking somewhere around 12 to 1400 uh, BC, somewhere during that period of time, we have all of that being established. And then for the next 1400 years, it continued. If you think about all of the daily offerings and weekly offerings and monthly offerings and annual offerings that were given during that period of time by each individual family and then by the, the nation as a whole, man, there was a lot of money that went into Whoa. providing those that rightness, that righteousness for them. So atonement is costly. Righteousness and holiness are not cheap. And that should tell us something about what Jesus accomplished through one sacrifice. So much. That his one sacrifice, yeah. as the book of Hebrews makes very, very clear, it accomplished atonement for all time. One sacrifice at one time accomplishes all of that for all time. So that would be my really big uh, application on Levitic- Leviticus, why you would want to read it is just to see the costliness of righteousness. I, I, what I love about the Old Testament is as you're reading it through the heart and the eyes of a person that's uh, been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, not only do you see the costliness, the expense, and the, the effort and the time and everything that went into this before, but uh, you, could just, you can see the foreshadowing of the sacrifice and the redemption and the resurrection on the cross. You can see that. You, you look at it and you read it. And I think reading the Old Testament gives us a, a better appreciation for not just the sacrifice, but just how intricate and how um, much the harmony of, of the, in the agreement of what God was doing, the big plan, so to speak. And it's just, it, it's flawless. It's, it's, it's really, really encouraging as you're seeing Jesus in the Old Testament uh, just to know that. And I think it demonstrates uh, the power in, of God. It, it, it shows, clearly shows the power of God uh, and the continuity in the Scriptures. That's a really good point, the continuity, because it is important to recognize that from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years in three different continents and multiple languages, three different languages— all of that has a consistent and cohesive story. And um, I heard one person one time say that the, the Bible is like a hyperlinked document. And, you know, we don't really call it hyperlinks anymore, just links when you're browsing on the internet. You got those, once upon a time, they were always blue and they were always underlined. They, you knew that was something to click on and that would take you to somewhere else. It would take you to somewhere else. And then everything was linked together. And the Bible is like a hyperlinked document. Everything is linked together from Genesis to Revelation. There are just references everywhere. So the whole story of Leviticus sets the stage for what's ultimately going to come. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, prepares us for the New Covenant. And all of those laws, they all point to Jesus. They all have their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And this is what Paul says in Galatians, that the whole of the law is like our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ so that we would be justified by faith. Amen. Boom. Yeah, drop the mic. Yeah, if we actually had, we had a mic mics, that we could drop. They're, they're held up. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's probably good. Numero cuatro. If one just needs faith the size of a mustard seed, why don't all the clergy 
comma, pastors, comma, priests, comma, and all the believers have a Remove the Virus Day worldwide. Shake off the virus, COVID-19. Pray it away. Pray it away. If we call on God through Jesus Christ, the virus will be gone in no time. He calls the stars by name. He is powerful. There you go. So I, I maybe, don't disagree. Maybe this says something about our lack of faith. There you go. If we were super Pentecostal, we would say that. Yeah. You just don't got enough faith. Yeah. I do have some observations on this. Well, I would love to hear your observations. I have some as well. So why don't we start with you? Okay. So I have a feeling you might say something that I'm thinking. You know, well, you never it's know. possible. You never know. We have not conspired um, on this yet. Yeah, not yet. So I, I'm seeing a couple things in this particular time period here. And you know, I you know, kind of put some... I wrote, I wrote the vice president, right? Yes, you did. And when I look through the history of Israel... And America is not Israel, okay? Two different things. But they do have some similarities. And you know, you've traveled to Israel with Americans and how quickly we Americans gravitate and uh, get behind the cause of modern Israel because we see some similarities. We, we, we get crazy about it. We love modern Israel when we get there. But all that being said, we said that we are one nation under God. Do you remember the Pledge of Allegiance? Did you ever say the Pledge of Allegiance when you were a kid? Every morning. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for, for which, which it stands, stands, one nation, under God, indivisible. Invisible. Invisible. No, indivisible. My kids, they always say, why is it invisible? Yeah, why is it invisible? Indivisible. With liberty and, and justice, justice for, for all. all. And like, think about what that says. We're, we're, we're saying, in a, in a in sense, words are powerful, but in a sense we're saying we're under God, we shouldn't be divided, and liberty and justice exist for all people in the United States. That was the American dream. I think that was, I think that was God-inspired, and it was it, our little citizens once upon a time said that every day. They repeated that every day they went to school. And I think we've gone, I think we're more divided. I think we have less liberty and justice for all now, all those things being said. So why am I saying this? Okay. I think that what is going on out there right now all over the world should for Christians and for the world be a call to repentance. When I look upon, you know, different, the, the push and pull of God with his people in Israel all the different times they've been in captivity and out of captivity, how they escaped captivity, all those things. Um, Egypt, for example, they were subject to the reign and rule of Pharaoh uh, because they had broken their covenant. They had, they had basically walked away from the Lord. And then one day, the Lord called them to civil disobedience, so to speak. It was the day they were crying out to the Lord. The Lord remembered them and called them to disobey Pharaoh to go out and to worship. And I, I think it's a very powerful thing for people to get together and to repent before the Lord. And I think that we have much as a nation to repent of. And I could go down the list. This podcast is not long enough. But I believe... We don't have a time limit. Yeah. No, I'm we, I have I'm a kidding. very strong conviction that we have much to repent of, our country, and the church has much to repent of because I don't think we've done as good a job as we could have of having the conviction to keep our country on track and our families on track and all those things. And 
People complain that there's no prayer in the schools, and I counter and say there's no prayer in the school because I don't believe there's prayer in the home. And so, so much of what we do as a country comes out of our personal relationships with the Lord and our personal convictions, if we're going to be biblical or not. And there's there's a lot of Christians, so I think that that is a that's a big a big factor. And so, that being said, I would be all about a day of repentance and prayer and all those things. And I think if we were unified in that, I think God would hear our prayer, our cries, and bring a solution. But I don't see that happening. You know, it's it's fascinating. I I wasn't thinking on the same line that you were thinking on there, but I want to kind of springboard off of something that you said. One of the fascinating things you do see in the Old Testament as you study it is that virtually every time Israel was confronted with a challenge, whether it was an invading army, uh, their nation is experiencing turmoil, there's a mm-hmm. drought, there's a, you know, go down the list, there's a famine, there's a sickness, there's a pestilence, whatever it may be. Virtually every time that they had that, the national inclination was to do exactly what you're saying, to say, there's something we have done. There's some way we have erred, mm-hmm. and we need to repent. And and we're going to see that as we go through the Old Testament. And this is why we started our studies in the Old Testament with the book of Deuteronomy, because the book of Deuteronomy lays the groundwork for that entire thing. Yeah. And every one of the prophets are basically applying the book of Deuteronomy. They come to the people and they say, hey, listen, the end of Deuteronomy talks about the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. And it goes through the entire thing. Blessed shall you be if you do this, 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 and this. And here's the blessings that you'll receive. And then if you don't, here's the curses. And pretty much all the prophets are simply coming and saying, hey, this is what the book says. And we're experiencing all these curses. Mm -hmm. And we need to repent. Right. And I think that that inclination is a good inclination. The other side of it, the the track that I was thinking on this question, is the story of the blind man in John 9. That... Jesus' disciples, they see this man born blind. They say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And he says, neither. But then he says in verse 3 of John chapter 9, but that the works of God should be revealed Mm -hmm. in him. So apparently, and this is a hard one for us to grasp, apparently it was within the will of God. So depending upon your theology, depending on your way you view God, you might have a different view on this. But it seems apparent from that passage that God willed, in God's will, in his perfect counsel, willed that this man would be blind for a purpose. Mm-hmm. He allowed what we would consider to be a devastating disability, shall we say, until this guy was a man right? where he would be blind so that the works of God would be revealed. So all that to say, who is to say that this coronavirus isn't a part of God's will? Mm-hmm. and his plan and his purpose. Or at the very least, he has allowed it, depending on your theology. And what are some of the outcomes? Well, some of the outcomes are it has caused a lot of people to seek for God where they had not been seeking for God before. And in that is necessarily a good thing. It has challenged the church, and I say like the big C church, yeah. to redouble, shall we say, mm-hmm. their efforts in reaching culture in a new way that they weren't reaching culture online. And so there may be some good outcomes from this, even though it is challenging for us. Now, on the other side of this, I think, I don't know anybody that wouldn't agree that we're very happy that coronavirus has not, it has not appeared to be as bad as we initially thought it would be. Mm -hmm. At the very beginning of all this, I think there was a, 
there was several weeks of just real concern, like, hey, this could be really, really bad. And, um, and it has not turned out to be as bad as we thought it was going to be. That's good. Um, now, that said, do a little study of history and you realize some of the people have gone before us have experienced a lot more hardship than Absolutely. we're experiencing right now. And for as bad as things might be, things are pretty darn good. You know, the Dow Jones today is oh, yeah. higher than it was at the beginning of coronavirus. Oh, yeah. So all of the losses in the, in the Dow Jones have been regained. Apple today became the first $2 trillion company in market capitalization. So the stock market's doing good. Now, that's not to say Wall Street may be doing good, but as they say, Main Street's not doing so good. That's true. There's a lot of people out of work. There's a lot of people, you know, collecting um, unemployment. There's a lot of businesses dying. There's a lot of terrible things going on right now that are as a result of COVID-19. Not directly, but because of our response to COVID-19. But even still, we're doing comparatively well. Uh, absolutely. And, and one of the things is I've always been more of a God allowed this guy. Right. To, uh, one of those guys. But I've been, as I've watched some of the specific things that have happened as a reaction to this. And these are things that man has created. Um, how many idols, distractions from our spiritual life have been knocked flat? Right. Just like the Isaiah 19 passage. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm seeing, again, I don't see the United States in Scripture that I can find. You're not looking hard enough. Yeah. I'm I, I, yeah, i got to make okay. some stuff up. Right. But, but I'll say this. A lot, I'm watching a lot of idols fall that are very American and we're being put in a timeout and we're all of a sudden we're having to sit down and be confronted with our children, our marriages, our vices, it's the punishment of God. Yeah. Well, I, I do, I do see where God's put us in a position where we need, we're in a place to, let's say, have a little, uh, introspective time, contemplative uh contemplative yeah contemplative prayer but we're we're in a position where we're having to consider some of the choices we make and some of the things we're doing and we're it's things are squarely out of our control I, you know one of the things that i think we get jammed up on is what i would call our theological presuppositions mm-hmm. every single one of us have a certain thing based on how we were brought up in the faith right about how we assume god works or how we assume right. the world works right and those things can be dangerous because you know, if you're if you're more on the Pentecostal spectrum, then you recognize a very important truth that is is good for those who are more on the shall we say more on the uh, theologically conservative reformed right. side of the thing, is that there is an actual spiritual battle going on. There is a spiritual war happening between God and Satan, mm-hmm. and there are battles that are raging in this world where we see the works of darkness, shall we say, in some sense in the moment appearing to prevail. Now, in the end. The the yep. battle is done. The war is yeah, done. God is, that. The mop-up yeah. is going on. But yeah. there are moments where it appears that the enemy is prevailing. So, it, you know, we need to recognize there's a spiritual battle going on. And the, the enemy, our adversary, the devil, he is the father of lies and death. And he loves to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he is being effective in some respects as it relates to Sometimes war, sometimes famine, sometimes pestilence, sometimes all kinds of terrible things that happen. So there's a very real spiritual battle going on. Now, if you're very far on the theologically conservative reform side of the book, you don't like to give much power to the enemy. Right. Because God is all-powerful and all-sovereign, and that's all true. But you fail to recognize that there's still a spiritual battle going on. And we do need to contend 
in prayer. And we also sometimes need to recognize that maybe this involves our repentance nationally or individually. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times we think these spiritual battles, we think of them in the macro. Yeah. But we don't realize a lot of these spiritual battles start in our own living room with our own habits. Um, and those that the habits of millions of people add up nationally to something. And so there's the, this all starts, I love that decal you see on the back of the gardener's trucks. It says a green environment starts in your own front yard. And there's a big part of this world where we don't have control nationally of anything. You do have a lot of control over what goes on in your own living room uh, with your wife, your kids, your neighbors, and things like that. And I think it's very important to not lose sight of that. So, uh, you know. I don't know why this has been allowed or if God has sent this, but I do know that it certainly should have our attention. We are in unprecedented times, uncharted waters, and I, I don't know about you, but I can't tell what the next two months are going to bring. No, sirree. I won't even guess. I, yeah. I, I'm thinking more chaos and eternal ramifications is what I'm thinking. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to think about November. There are so many ways this could go sideways. Yeah. All right. Next question. We're going long today, but let's let's go for it. Go for it. Okay, next question. Here we go. Go to the question sheet here. I think number five. Yes. Cinco. I'm a little bit ahead in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and I'm a little confused. Corn-fused? Oh, you go. Chapter 10, verse 15 states that the Lord chose the Jews as the object of his love, and he chose their descendants above all nations. Was it the apple of his eye? Is that the experience? There's a passage where we see that. Yeah. Then two verses later in 17, it says that God shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. It's a good question. There's some, some critical thinking going on here. Yeah. These things don't seem to go together. Hmm. Do you suppose he's talking about not being bribed within the Jewish community or the... Well, I think it's important. I think it's important when you come to something that seems contradictory in the scripture. You have to. What do you got for me today, Miles? Let me hear. Well, we we have to follow the law of non-contradiction. Okay. So you have to. I think you need to start with the assumption. Maybe I'm not understanding something here. If these things seem to not go together, they're in the same book. They're in the same passage. They're paragraphs apart. So there needs to be an explanation for this. So. I would say there's, a, there's an explanation, and we're going to be talking about this in a little bit, in Deuteronomy 7. And in Deuteronomy 7, we are given some details about why did God choose Israel. And uh, Deuteronomy 7 says, The Lord did not set his love on you, in verse 7, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the people. So he's kind of telling them in this, in this passage, Deuteronomy 7, Hey, don't think you're so awesome. God didn't choose you because you're so amazing. Not he didn't choose you in learning those partiality sort of reasons. Exactly. So why did he choose you? Verse eight, Deuteronomy seven. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh, king. God, God's really big on keeping his word. Right. So, and this, this idea comes up a number of times. We see it in Exodus. We see it in Numbers. We see it in Deuteronomy, um, where, where God basically says, hey, listen, I'm going to keep you as my people, even though you're a bunch of screw-ups, like all of us, because of the covenant or the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. Now, 
we need to recognize why did God choose Israel? It was on the basis of them being in Abraham who followed God by faith. Why did God choose you? On the basis of you being in Christ whom you have followed by faith. This is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says, just as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. I, I am of the view that we are elect chosen in Christ. That as long as you are in Christ, you are among the elect. There's an interesting book. I don't agree with everything in the book. It's rare that I ever agree with anything, everything in a book, unless it's the Bible. Um, but there's a good book by, I believe his name is Robert Schenck, called Elect in the Son. And he talks about this whole idea of election in Christ. So we are chosen in him. How do we get to be in Christ? By faith. So Abraham followed God by faith. And those who were in Abraham, his descendants, were chosen because of the faith of Abraham and because of the covenant that God had made with them. So his choosing was still based on faith. And uh, it's, not, it's not a partiality like, oh, Israel was so much better than all the other nations and so God handpicked them. That's exactly what he's saying is not the case in Deuteronomy 7. And he's saying, listen, I chose you because I loved you because your father Abraham trusted me, followed me by faith. And as a result, you're in Abraham, and you're getting the benefits of that. I love you because I love your dad, and we had a deal. There you go. And God holds true to his covenants. There you go. That's why we still believe that God has some plan, although we don't know every detail, for the descendants of Abraham in the future. Groovy. Does that answer it? I think it more than answers it. I hope so. Yeah. Number six. Number six. I know that Jesus says that no man will know the date on which he returns, but what are your beliefs regarding the last generation as prophesied in Matthew twenty four thirty two, the parable of the fig tree? Do you think that the generation represents the 1948 establishment of Israel? And I'm going to say... I do not. No. Okay. Uh, I think that I, I know a lot of people who do believe that, and I know that Chuck Smith held to that. This is one of the reasons why Chuck Smith said as they were coming into 1980, was it? Or 1981. Yeah. The Lord's going to come back or the rapture of the church is going to happen right now because there was this idea that a generation is 40 years. And so from 1948 to 1988, the second coming was going to happen within that generation based on Matthew 24, verse 40, 30, 32. In fact, maybe we should read that verse. It says, Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branches already become tender, it puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also know when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So, there was a view, and there's good reason for this view, that the fig tree is emblematic or it is an allusion to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And Israel became an entity, the nation of Israel, the modern state of Israel became a nation again, declared its independence on May 14th, 1948. And so there was this view that if you fast forward a generation, which is sometimes um, accounted as 40 years, other people will say 70 years, mm -hmm. other people will say 100 years. So the generation that follows after Israel becoming a nation again, when the fig tree puts forth its branches, so people are saying the fig tree is an emblem of Israel. They became in modern state again in May 14th, 1948. Fast forward 40 years, 1988, second coming is going to happen in 1988. Back up seven years, because seven-year tribulation and the rapture, yep. Jesus is coming in 1981. So Pastor Chuck Smith said that in his prophecy update on December 31st, I believe it was 1980, 
I, I know a friend of mine who was there when he heard it, and um, that didn't come to pass. Wasn't there a book, too? There was, uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Come Back in 1988. We actually downloaded that book. Um, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Um, but it didn't happen. No. And Chuck wasn't a bad well, guy. What about, the, just, what about 70 trying. years later? Well, 70 years happened in 2018. Yeah. So I, I've got a couple observations. Yeah. Because I've, I've heard a lot of teaching on this. Right. And, and, you know, so, and I grew up spiritually in when a lot of this teaching was being done, you know, firsthand, not reruns, but firsthand. Um, and so one thing we have to recognize is the there are many devout Jews, uh, priests, we'll call them, the, the, the religious leaders of Israel that do not believe the modern state of Israel resembles the state of Israel. They believe it is a man-made state. There is nothing spiritual about it. And that uh, it's a solely a creation of man. And on some of those points, I would agree with them. I think the modern state of Israel is as carnal or more carnal than the United States. It is really liberal and carnal. Can be, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things they're endorsing. And not everything they do is righteous. That's what uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not everything they do is righteous, but I mean, they have, you know, the gay rights parades, they have the transgender. Very thing, high abortion rate. High abortion. They are doing things that clearly are not scriptural and grieve God. And that does not look like a spiritual nation. Now, on the other hand, the miracles that took place for the Jewish people in the reforming of Israel, you know, six-day war, I mean, all these... The hand of God was there. The hand of God sure. was there. I do not doubt that for a second. So that's a, there's a toss-up there. I don't doubt that the Lord is working in Israel and uh, concerned with what what's going on in Israel, but I'm not 100% convinced that the reforming of Israel as a nation is the biblical reforming of the nation. Right, but and I think you would agree on this, but, and we have to put that but in there. There's a but. Uh, the fact that there is a presence of the descendants of Abraham, yes. Jewish people, in the Middle East, in the land of Israel today, the biblical land of Israel, is very important, biblically. I think that's very important. I will say this, though. We have to be careful on our interpretive lenses, how we look at these passages like Matthew 24. For instance... There's a verse, Matthew 24, 22, so 10 verses before we just looked at it, verse 32, that says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. I have heard many people take a very highly literal view of that and say, the 24-hour period of the day is going to be shortened. That's a very bad way of reading that verse. Yeah. What it's saying is that all the things that are going to happen during this period, it's going to be for a very brief period of time. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be extended for a very long period of time, which is exactly what's being said in verse 32 through 35. I think the right way to interpret it this is when this generation begins to see these things that are spoken of in this passage come to pass, then all of this is going to be wrapped up very quickly. It's not going to be a prolonged period. It's not like we begin to see these things happen and then a thousand years later, Jesus right. is going to return. No. When these things begin to happen, you can say, hey, it appears that we are coming to the end. And that generation that begins to see those things come to pass, then, you know, it'll all begin to wrap up very quickly. But is the fig tree in that passage necessarily the modern state of Israel? I would say no. Right. And to, to, to clarify my position on that, if you were to take the modern state of Israel today 
and match it up against the Old Testament standard for uh, adherence to the covenant of God, I think they would be in bad shape. Potentially, yes. Potentially. Yeah. But to clarify my position further, but is there something miraculous and amazing, and does God have a plan for modern-day Israel? Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of very strict Jews. There's a lot of different sects of Jews yeah, in Israel. Reform. There's a lot of very strict Jews that don't think that the modern state of Israel is, or the, what they would refer to as the Zionist movement, is in line with Scripture. Right. So, yeah, it's yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, so there's a... There's a uh, yeah, that that's a. Uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there, and I don't know all the answers. All I know is Jesus is going to be part of that answer. Amen. So okay, we down to our final question. Okay, number seven. In your message taught from your office at home, what are the rainbow books on your shelf? You're being good, Mark. <laughs> Not for very long. You're being good, Mark. I is that the new international almost sexual version of the yeah we're reclaiming the rainbow we're taking the rainbow back there you go bringing uh, rainbow back okay those books are the complete works super complete the complete works of the late great Francis Schaeffer do you know the name Francis Schaeffer yeah Francis Schaeffer was a great apologist, philosopher, strong Christian, had a very uh, strong ministry in like the 1970s. I believe he passed away in the 1980s um, and was very influential in kind of moving the dial, if you will, towards a stronger argument, philosophical argument and apologetic argument for God Um for a lot of people who came after him, a lot of apologists that came from the baby boomer generation uh, really were influenced by Francis Schaeffer. And uh, I really like Francis Schaeffer. I think his uh, his writing and his ideas are, they were very prescient. I mean, the guy, the guy wrote things and saw things coming that we're experiencing now in our culture. And uh, so... so, yeah, I had several people who sent me this question after that message. What are those rainbow books? And... Um, I think uh, some of them were distressed to see that to buy that set. I got a good deal on that set, but uh, to buy that set, it's like 300 bucks. They were like, oh, forget it. I'm not going to get that. Um, so, yeah, that's Francis Schaefer, the complete works of Francis Schaefer. I mean, how could you miss those brilliantly colored volumes? Yeah, they, they, they are yeah. very very catchy in yeah. color. And yeah. I like the way they look on my on my shelf. Well, they make you look so much, you know, like way smarter. When you go into a way doctor's smarter. office, you see all those books up there on oh, the wall. Oh yeah, or a lawyer. Man, I helped a lawyer move one oh, time. Oh gosh. That was like death. That guy had a law library. It took us like 4 hours to move his law library. Wow. <sighs> books are heavy. Yeah. Thankfully all that law library stuff's now digital. Just like most of my library for my my uh, studies are digital now too. Yeah, but we still have to have some stuff on our shelves to make us look spiritual. I mean, yeah, how many Spurgeon right. books do you have to be to be saved, to be a pastor? Well, you know, I was talking with Pastor David Guzik because he's got like the complete set. It's like 63 volumes of Charles Spurgeon's sermon set. And I was like, hey, man, where'd you get that? And man, looking at those online, they're expensive. Someone bought them for him. That was pretty nice of somebody. I thought like the hand of Moses handed those down, you know. Yeah, there you go. You, like, yeah. They, they Yeah. He, but he's smart. He's David? studious. Pastor David? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
I can. I got my lecture. You know, lectures, lectures for for my students. Uh, let's see. Most of my books are in Kindle now. Kindle or Logos, which is Logos is a Bible uh, study program. I just don't like the name Kindle. Why? It it reminds me like of a bad dating site. I don't hear that. A one bad Christian dating site. Kindle I, for me, it's been. Smolder. It's been both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. A blessing in that I have a huge library of books with me at all times, whether it's on my phone or my mm-hmm. iPad. A curse in that it is way too easy for me to buy way too many books. Mm. I would not buy books otherwise, I don't think, because I don't like the space that they take up. So there was a Twilight Zone. Uh-huh. There's a guy named Burgess Meredith was in it. Okay. And he played this guy who loved to read. That's all he wanted to do was read. And everybody would disturb him. His wife was berating him for reading all the time. And like, there was like a, a, a bomb went off. I forget exactly. I saw this as a kid. But this bomb went off and the entire world was gone. And he was just left alone with his books. So everybody else's despair was his happy place. And then you know what happened? He dropped his glasses. Oh, no. That's like, that reminds me of the old milk commercial where the guy dies and he wakes up in this white, beautiful kitchen place and there are these massive chocolate chip cookies on the... Oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. oh, heaven. And he starts macking on this chocolate chip cookie and then he opens up the, the door of the refrigerator and it's filled with milk. And he's like, oh, heaven. And he grabs one and there's no milk in every single one. Oh, that was such a good Oh, commercial. you might have taken a detour. Yes. Missed it by that much. Well, I'm reminded of a verse when you were talking about many books. I think I've found it. Were there many books? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Ecclesiastes 12, 12. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there is no end and much study wearies the body. It's true. Mm. You know, I've got a question for you. Okay. I want to know what your take is this. In take. Malachi, you know where I'm going with this? Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, yeah. So it talks about like a book of remembrance. It's Malachi 3, I think. Yeah. What is that? Yeah, Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Okay, so this goes to an idea that is very clearly seen in ancient Near Eastern culture, okay? So you remember, and in fact, you can see it very perfectly pictured in the book of Esther. Remember Artaxerxes, there's a night when he's having a hard time sleeping, and he has a recorder come in and start reading from the books, and there would be a recorder that would keep record of all the happenings of the kingdom. Yep. Of the king. And so, and it was kind of like a, a book of the records of the king or the book of remembrance. And, and so basically that's, that's what you have. So you have the picture of God as the king, the supreme king over mm-hmm. all things. And there is a record being kept. And so there's the book of God's remembrance. He's, he's keeping a record. I just, I remember. He's making a list and checking it twice. There you go. I remember reading that as a young Christian and right. going, Hang on a second here. Is God putting out volume three? Possibly. Like, will there be, like, 
I mean, because so many of the stories in the Bible, right, are... Oh, okay. It's essentially well, the, 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 remembering the, of, the deeds and the... The Acts of the Apostles doesn't end in Acts 28. Okay. It just keeps going. So that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I mean, is it possible I could be in the new Bible? I better oh, watch you, my. I better watch my P's and Q's. You got you got a lot of things written, I'm sure. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Let's I hope gotta, that a I, lot of it gets blotted out. Well, that's. I mean, I, I've the lost archives of Mark, <laughs> the book of Mark, chapter dose. You know, yeah. Anyway, you know, it's interesting. Um, there have been literally thousands of records in the last fifty years or so of near death experiences. I've talked a little bit about yeah. this before. Um, so in mostly dead in many near death experiences that people have, mm-hmm. there is a moment where they have a recapping of their life as if a book was opened and they see the experience of all of it kind of, there is an experience where they, they basically experience and remember everything like in a moment. And, uh, and it's fascinating that this is a consistent experience among many people who've had near death experiences. It's very fascinating. Hmm. So the records are there, but a boom, and apparently, God listens in when we're yeah. talking about Him. That's a little He's scary. Like, hey, hey, hey! Check this out. They're talking about me. That 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 should be a little scary. Maybe, maybe we should leave all our listeners at like an hour and forty minutes with that. Ooh, God's keeping record. Don't be naughty or nice. They're that watching. kind of freaks out. Dorothy's going to get back to me They're on that one. Watching. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because she's very concerned about every idle word. Well. Well, something to think about. Yeah. Well. Mm. Hey, that concludes our section of hmm. Mm. Things that make you go hmm. Boy, we're going to have all kinds of weird segments. This show's going to get way too long. It just gets weirder and weirder all the time. It's a good thing I pushed record today. Yeah. Wow. All right. Until... Next time. Happy trails to you. As Mark sings his wonderful songs, make sure that you send again. in your questions to us. Happy the questions podcast. Text them to us to at 760-814-1223. And we will see you next time. So long, little buckaroos. We'll see you next time. Bye.